Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea, and I am joined in studio by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah, and congrats on Boston. Oh, thank you very much. Thank Yay. you. Um, yeah, I am feeling surprisingly good given how utterly thrashed my legs felt at the end of that. And you say you owe it all to these, the Highland... Highland Arnasport. And they are these homeopathic tablets that dissolve under your tongue and Highlands was in, um, they are one of the official sponsors of the Boston Marathon with their product Leg Cramps, which contains quinine, which I'm allergic to, which means no gin and tonics. And if I get malaria, I don't know what I'm going to do. Suffer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. Suffer. <laughs> uh, so, so one of um, the women with Highlands knew that about me, which I was very impressed with her attention to detail. And so, when they had this um, after party, which makes it sound like we were clubbing it, but we were not, um, after the marathon, she comes up to me with this bottle and is like, here, Sarah, put these under your tongue. You're totally going to help. And so they dissolve under your tongue. And oh my gosh, my legs, I mean, my quads were just, had been seizing up. My Achilles was just utterly angry at me on my affected ankle. And then like when I went up um, after getting a few pictures taken, went up, to my hotel room to take a shower and as I was trying to put on my, my UFOs flip-flops afterwards my left toes just completely cramped it looked like I was like this arthritic like hundred year old oh, I've my had toes. that happen oh, oh that was, is gross and it I was like no 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 lay flat toes lay flat toes <laughs> so I was just really really um crampy and seizing badly and so the woman from Highlands her name is Margo and so Margo was just like you know, my pusher. And she just kept on coming over and giving me a couple little tablets to put under my tongue. And I woke up the next day feeling better than I have after almost any marathon I've ever run. That's amazing. When I had been in, there's only one or two marathons I can think of that I felt worse after than after Monday's Boston. And now these are out and available now, yes, correct? Yes, they're right. on. And where do you hide yours? Upstairs? <laughs> Which cabinet? Tell me now, sir. Tell me <laughs> now. Right. I'll just step out for a moment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I took some on the plane ride home. And mm-hmm. so, Arna Sport, yes. Great. So, um, yes. So anyway, so I am going to save a lot of the race details for next week's show um, when I'll be talking to my coach and my training partner, Molly, will be the co-host. So, um, but um, I did, I spent some nice quality time with my parents in Connecticut. How before. are they? Thanks for asking. Um, so um, when last we left the Bowen parents, uh, they were both in rehab facilities and I didn't know whether or not they would be home by the time I went home home to their house I should I, after living out of home for how many years I need to stop saying home we like I still live it. there um so my mother had arrived back at her house on Thursday and I got there Tuesday mid-morning and my dad was still at a rehab place and so 
oh my gosh, my mother, I mean, my mother's a very loving woman, but she really, really, rarely, rarely cries. And I walked in the front door. I got, uh, I Ubered it from the airport to my parents' house and I walk in the door and my mother walks over to me and she just gives me this big hug and she says, it is so good to see you. And she was tearing up and like starting. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting this. So that was really wonderful. So, um, and so we went and saw my dad every day and I really didn't know what to expect. And he, you know, physically he's not doing all that great. He has um, a lot of infections on his feet. Um, mm. And, oh, he, he has Parkinson's, so he, you know, shakes some. And But my gosh, the elevator still goes all the way up to the penthouse in that man. I mean, he is just, I mean, my father is so brilliant. He has these sparkly blue eyes. And I mean, the light is just shining brightly in his eyes. And he just follows conversations and... He definitely knows that the medications he's on sometimes make him think weird things, but he's like, like observes the weirdness almost and knows that it's not really happening. So he can to step him. back from it. Yeah. So, but you know, he's almost ninety, and so we sometimes doubt his memory a little bit. And so, like on the third day, oh, but he and he always really wants to know like what's going to be happening. So he would have to go to these appointments, and he would want to know when the when they would be coming to pick him up, and who would be going with him, and all this stuff. And so when we had left him, I guess on I think Tuesday night, they were, he was supposed to have an appointment on no, yeah, whatever night it was. And we get there the next morning and or next day, and we're like, Dad, so, so how was your doctor's appointment? He goes, Oh, I didn't have a doctor's appointment this morning. And my mom and I look at each other and we're both thinking, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, you went to the doctor. You just don't remember it. So, and even my mother like said something like, oh, the bandages on your foot look new. And I knew her implication was because the doctor redid them this morning. And so Aww. I, um, finally my mother's like, Sarah, why don't you go out and ask them at the nurse's station if your dad went to the doctor's. And so this is actually, this is um, Friday. This is my last day there. And so she opens up the little like calendar that they have and there's the check in an envelope that like when you get transported from there to to the doctor's appointment you have to give a check and there it said Charles Bowen and it originally said 414 and they crossed it out as oh. you know whatever day it was that he sure enough had not seen oh, oh boy this and I'm like <laughs> oh, oh okay I can't doubt my dad anymore that's right so that's I, come back right. And I'm like, I love the way she wants to make you the fall gal <laughs> right, right so I'm like mom mom dad dad was right Oh, so so we let him know that uh, we would um, trust his memory going forward. So, oh, and, you know, I just, um, it was just really nice to hold his hand and to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I played some Hamilton for him on my phone hey. because they, they think I'm so clever for getting tickets to it in San Francisco. And, um, oh, we, you know, the... Um, primary in new york was coming up we talked about that we and they're coming up in connecticut the um so they'll be able to vote or um and so talked about that my dad like me loves the new york times so i read the new york times out loud to him and we you know had commentary on it and all that stuff so yeah so it was it was good i mean it was hard to say goodbye you know because you just don't know if that's the last time you know you'll be laying eyes on Mm. your parent and um but no, it was very good, and I know they were very excited for me to run Boston. So yeah, yeah. well, yeah. having met both of them, I uh, they were both just jewels. Oh, that's I very nice. Really to say that. enjoyed both of them, that's... and uh, I always 
very fond, especially of your mother, because she's a big reader. Yes, yes. So, right. I, gosh, look at that. I jumped right over the, you know, I'm supposed to remember, remind people who you are. So what have you been reading since you last hosted, Allison? Ah, yeah, well, the book bully has had sort of a, sort of an off month. When you, when we left, I was in the middle of The Nest, mm-hmm. which we mentioned, and I still think that that's going to be a runaway uh, bestseller. I, I still think a lot of people are going to enjoy that one. Um, and this month, I read uh, two books back to back that I have to say um, kind of went hand in hand. One is fiction. It's uh, The Turner House by Angela Flournoy, Mm -hmm. and I may be butchering her name. But uh, it is a debut novel that uh, many people felt should have been shortlisted for the Pulitzer, which was mm. came out on Monday. But it's an excellent uh, novel about a family, uh, African-American family living in Detroit. And they had been living in the same house for 50 years. And now because of all the troubles in that end of Detroit, the house is about to probably be either seized by the bank or the family has to decide whether they're going to sell it. Um, I thought it really started off strong. Um, I felt she lost her way a little bit with one of the plot points towards the end, but I definitely think she's an author to watch. And um, I think it's it will appeal to a number of people, particularly if you're into sibling novels. And this mm-hmm. seems to be the year of sibling right, yes, novels. Exactly right. I'm sensing a theme here from <laughs> your right. last suggestion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then I followed that up with a nonfiction book um, that essentially deals with some of the same uh, same plot points, and it's called Evicted, mm-hmm. and it's by Matthew Desmond, mm-hmm. um, and essentially it discusses what the title says it's uh, the history of eviction um, but mainly focuses on uh, evictions in the 21st century and very eye-opening to this problem which is a real problem um, all over the country I know that here in Portland we deal with uh, housing and rental prices that are just skyrocketing Mm -hmm. and this gives a face, uh, many faces to this problem and discusses it not only from uh, the aspect of people being evicted or on the edge of being evicted, but also talks about the um, landlords. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, good. So a really balanced look at it. Yes, very balanced and excellent writing. It's one, another one of these nonfiction books that reads like fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I've just finished a book that I think is going to appeal to a lot of people um, who have enjoyed uh, A Man Called Ove, the Swedish runaway novel that's uh, hit the bestseller list recently. But this book is called uh, The One in a Million Boy. It's by a woman named Monica Wood. And it, it has some of the same uh, plot lines, uh, essentially, in it features a, a woman who's over 100 years old who, uh, in the beginning, uh, has we know has been visited every week by a rather odd but charming 11-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, and this is part of his duty as a, as a Boy Scout to come yeah. by and, and spend time with her once a week. And suddenly, one day, he doesn't appear. Uh-huh. And we learn early on um, that he's died. This is not a plot giveaway. But um, his father, who was not always a figure in his life, is sort of goaded by his grieving mother into, listen, um, your son took on this this uh, duty, and you need to fulfill it and continue. And it's not a downer. It has a lot of very... um, uh, funny uh, moments, and uh, so we get to learn about this woman 
and about uh, the father. And, and then we learn about the boy himself. Oh. Um, so I really think it will appeal to, to people who like a man called Ove and um, just a, a charming little feel-good novel. Uh, that's so, when you're talking, I kept thinking, feel-good novel, feel-good right. novel. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I just picked up from the library, Eligible, by uh, Curtis Sitton. Oh, yeah, uh, I, the latest. I heard her interview on NPR. And yes. I, uh, I think I might have heard that the morning of the Boston Marathon. I was like, oh, note to self, I want to... Or right. maybe it was on uh, Weekend Edition Sunday. I can't remember what it was on. I heard a snippet of it. Yes, yeah. and so yeah. I definitely was thinking I want to yeah. be reading Yeah, the, the reviews have been so-so. Uh, but I have to say, I met her years ago, right after Prep came out at uh, Wordstock here in Portland. And mm-hmm. she was so sweet and, you know, uh, very charming, very bright. Young I've woman. enjoyed her other novels, um, Prep, and then the one about um, uh, not Barbara about Bush, Laura, but Laura yeah, Bush, yes. yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, American Wife, yes, American oh, Wife. Oh, I wow. pulled that out. Wow. Oh, maybe art <laughs> sport helps the mind that's too. Right. That's right. Yeah. Which, excuse me again. I'm going up into your kitchen. <laughs> um, and I do have to. You saying the Pulitzer? I have to give a shout out to my alma mater. Yes. Um, yes, Peter Belakian from Colgate University uh, won a Pulitzer on. Monday, and I know that because my sophomore roommate um, texted me and she said, Sarah, well, it's a great day for Colgate. You finished the Boston Marathon, Peter Blake, and won the Pulitzer. I love that those are and, uh, equal footing. But... Um, I, um, he was I he was the first English professor I had at Colgate. Oh wow! And so um, he and um, oh I really showed my chutzpah back then. Um, I didn't get in originally as a freshman. Sometimes it's hard to get into English mm-hmm. classes, and he was teaching American Lit. And so I knew a junior who was uh, who wanted to drop the class, but he hadn't dropped it yet. He was the editor of the um, Colgate Maroon, the newspaper, and so and so he was kind of a big man on campus. The this junior and so i was in professor blakeen's office and i said oh well you know dave talbot's going to drop the class and um he was like oh really well why don't we just call him and see about that and i'm like oh okay i'll call dave (laughs) so and and so i'm like here do you want to talk to him so peter blakeen was like fine you can be in the class Uh, well we might want to tell our listeners what he won so he i actually don't know but i know that he is very big in um so he's armenian right his last name blakeen might uh lead one to believe and he definitely was one of the in my mind one of the early people who's shown the light on the um armenian genocide um and uh, the turks armenians there's debate depending on which side you land on as to whether it truly was a genocide or not and um Mm. there's um and so so is it a book of his or is it thought it was a book but then i wondered if it was an in-depth article oh yeah so i'm embarrassed to not know so am i i'm embarrassed to be blanking yes so but um yeah he has definitely um brought a lot of attention to that Mm -hmm. issue and that issue Mm -hmm. has um i know that um i mean even obama has kind of um been involved in that because of i think when he maybe spoke to a head of state and whether or not where america lands on who's to blame in that whole Mm -hmm. conflagration yeah. I just want yeah. to use the word conflagration on this I podcast, love that. basically. Yeah. Okay. Go so. ahead. Three times. <laughs> oh, and I have you to thank for the book that I'm reading now. Oh, uh, oh yes. The Beekeeper's Apprentice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm embarrassed that I haven't read it. It's over 20 years old, and I'm really enjoying it. I know. I know. We re- I recommended it last time at tonight is book group to talk about that. Oh, cool. So, yes, um, we're recording on Thursday instead of a Wednesday. I, ha- I have um, going to go see my son run a track meet around the 1500. In a track meet and then going straight to book group. 
So wow. real, really, um, an attire dilemma. Wow. How do you how do you dress to go from a an overly warm spectating of a track meet to book group? But um, but that feeds right into the fifteen hundred. Feeds right into one of our guests. That's exactly right. Oh, Sarah Brown. Gosh. Wow, I did so well at that. Wow. Um, so today, Ellis and I are going to be joined by two guests: a professional middle distance runner and a quote-unquote average mother runner here in the Portland area. And what's the common thread, you might ask? Uh, They both incorporate elliptigos into their training. First up is professional middle-distance runner Sarah Brown. She's training for the Olympic trials in the 1,500 meters. But the main reason we're having her on the show is she just gave birth to her first baby, daughter Abigail, in early March. Might I add, Abigail's birthday is my birthday. March, March 4th. Throughout Sarah's pregnancy... She trained for the Olympic trials, including utilizing an elliptigo for many of her workouts. But before we bring on the other Sarah, let's take a quick break for a message from a sponsor. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for joining us, Sarah, and congratulations on becoming a mother runner. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about your evolution to becoming a top American middle distance runner? I think uh, running kind of came naturally to me as a kid. I was always kind of the fast girl in the in gym class, even in elementary school, trying to beat the boys. And um, I started out as a soccer player when I was like six years old and ended up playing till I was 16. But my strength was always just being able to keep running around the soccer field and, you know, every one else would tire out and I could just keep going. So it was one of those things I was just naturally good at. And so um, my parents entered me in some races when I was in middle school. And, you know, um, I made it to the national championships in those races and and won the national title. And so from there, that's kind of how I got my start in um, the running world. Wait, so there's national championships for middle school students? Yeah, well, it's for AAU track and field and Hershey track and field. Those are the two events that are the two um, programs that I, I competed in when I was, I think, 13. Wow. So they really start them young. Yeah. I mean, they if you go to any of those AAU meets, they're all day affairs with <laughs> everyone from like five year olds running. So, um, yeah, you can get started really early in the sport. I didn't get started quite that early but um yeah and then and then I assume you went to you ran track in college I did I went to the University of Tennessee and ran for JJ Clark um was really fortunate to be part of an awesome team there and several of the girls that I ran with at Tennessee still run professionally today so that's kind of cool nice nice so, okay, so now we're going to veer a little bit into um, TMI topics because we love TMI around here on, on AMR. Okay. So, so um, you blogged that your pregnancy was unplanned, that you had an IUD at the time, and, and your original due date was 15 weeks. That's one five weeks prior to the Olympic trials. So yes. talk, us, talk us through your thought process when you got, first got that call from your doctor informing you that you were indeed pregnant and then how you plotted for your training to continue. 
when the doctor called me to tell me I was pregnant, it was definitely a crazy mix of emotions. By that time, I knew there was something going on with my body because I had gone to the doctor in the first place and my racing had gone downhill. I was kind of on the top of my game to the to the bottom of my game in like a, just a matter of like weeks. So mm-hmm. I knew something was wrong. So there was so when he told me, I think there was a mix of like relief that like, oh, I know what's wrong. Um, there was also a lot of anxiety because I knew I had an IUD and I just wasn't expecting to hear, you know, that I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit scared for the, for the same reason. I didn't know what it meant to have an IUD and be pregnant at the same time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know those didn't seem like they, um, should really Coexist. go together very yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, um, fearful for some health reasons, but there was also like, um, you know, a sense of a little bit of excitement and stuff because this is, I mean, as unexpected as the news was, it's still my first child and my husband and I had planned on having kids, you know, down the road. And so, um, we were just gifted with our daughter earlier than expected. And I mean, looking back now, I wouldn't change anything, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was a mix of a lot of emotions I bet. going I bet. on. <laughs> And then, I mean, how quickly did your brain then scramble to be like, okay, but the Olympics are coming up. How, how do I stay on course for that? So the first, I think for the first like week and a half, it was a lot of focused on my health and the baby's health. Um, just because of the IUD, we had some complications we had to work through going, getting ultrasounds, making sure everything was okay, getting the IUD removed. And so for that kind of time frame was spent more just like, um, focusing on the health aspects and just my health and the baby's health and getting through those initial few first few weeks. Um, but I think it was kind of right, not, you know, it wasn't long after that, that I began to kind of think like, I knew that, you know, no matter when I was pregnant or, um, what the time frame was, I was, I was always planning on training throughout my pregnancy. Um, whether that would have been down the road, having in the future, having kids or, you know, in this circumstances, like even if I couldn't get ready for the Olympic trials in time, I would continue training because it's still so much a part of me and what I do and what um, what makes me happy and what makes me feel complete. And I think that's kind of an important thing, especially in pregnancy, that you you kind of maintain that balance in your life. So I, there was no question about whether I would train, but it just all of a sudden my husband and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, if we do the math, like you've come back from some injuries and gotten in shape pretty quickly. And I know this is a whole different animal to tackle, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's worth a shot. Like we, we might actually, it's a narrow window, but we, you know, we might have a chance at this. So, um, it kind of just became one of those things like, you know what, if I was sitting on the sidelines and hadn't tried, I'd regret that. So the biggest thing for me was to have no regrets and to have no regrets for you know, my definition would be to, you know, put it out there and try, try to get back in shape and get myself on the line at the Olympic trials. So, so obviously your training then had to evolve as your pregnancy progressed. Can you talk a little bit about how, how that happened and went forward? Yeah, well, we knew that there would be adjustments. And one thing we learned early on was that everybody's pregnancy is different. Every day is different. And you never know what your body's going to say or or be able, be capable of. And, um, 
So early on, I actually experienced a lot of hip pain. And due to some of that, we, we had already incorporated cross training. Like I, I cross train, um, even, even pre-pregnancy, that was a big part of my routine. So we knew that eventually, like we would just keep adding in more cross training as I had to kind of pull back on the running. And so I used my elliptico and I put it on a stationary trainer and, through that, I'm able to kind of monitor like my heart rate and things like that. So I can hit different zones and get some, um, quality sessions in on the elliptigo. I also incorporated swimming, um, and all of that just to supplement my running. And so from the, actually from the 20 to the 24 week mark, I didn't even run a step. I spent, yeah, I, um, I kind of just had a muscle spasm up and it wouldn't, it just was not releasing. And I was like, okay, you know, we got to, find an alternative. And so I just spent so much time on the elliptico during those four weeks. Um, and it was crazy because at, at around after those four weeks, I, I slowly started getting back into running, but at 27 weeks, I think it was on like Christmas day, I went out to do a workout and we were just kind of testing the waters and I ended up doing three by a mile on the track and, um, felt great. And I was running, you know, in the kind of 5:30 range which at the time you know like I was just really shocked because you know I did have to take off that time um from running so it was just a testament to how much work I think I put in during that 20 to 24 weeks and um you know mm-hmm. put it in on the elliptico and stuff so I was really excited because from 27 weeks on I was able to start incorporating track workouts back into my routine Wow. Wow. That was a nice Christmas gift then, those three by one miles. Um. It was. Yeah. Some people might not agree with that, but no, we feel you. We feel you. (laughs) So, um, so Ellison and I had the fun opportunity to ride elliptigo machines and the movement was very different than I expected. I thought it'd be like an elliptical machine. So more forward and back, but it really was surprisingly to me more up and down Um, so it really does seem to simulate the running stride. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's absolutely what I love the most about it is the fact that I do kind of feel like I'm continuing in my stride. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, I, I have always had a really long stride and I know that the elliptico, um, is a lot longer stride length than many of like the indoor elliptical machines. So, um, that definitely is really great for like a runner. And Mm -hmm. especially since I don't do second runs anymore, I do all my second runs on the elliptico. So Mm -hmm. it's really worked out as like a great supplemental tool for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then throughout my pregnancy, it was just even better because then I I probably um, definitely wore out a few tires on that thing, (laughs) even just on the trainer. So, and, and you were no stranger to using an elliptico before getting pregnant, right? You had um, used it in 2014 when you, you broke a bone in your foot. Is that right? Right. I, um, I have, like I said, I quit doing double runs in mm-hmm. my training. I was just finding that I was getting injured too much. And you just, I think part of the key to success in running, especially at, at this level and just at my age is staying healthy. And how um, old are you? I'm 29. Oh, oh, so, mm, ancient. so oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you. But, in you know, I am one of the veterans of the sport. And uh-huh. again, at the competing at the um, elite level, you, you put a lot on your body. And 
um, I think that this will also just kind of salvage my running career and allow me to go even longer because I am taking those precautions now um, to save some of my joints and just all around the wear and tear on my body. I'm able to get the same aerobic work. I, I, de- I wear a heart rate monitor, so I know the effort that I'm putting in when I'm on the elliptigo, and I'm able to get the same um, physiological effects without the pounding. Mm-hmm. So you said that you no longer do a second workout, and how often then were you using the elliptigo uh, during that training period leading up to it? And can you also, can you describe some of the elliptigo workouts you were doing? Yeah, so... Are you talking about pre-pregnancy or during well, the pregnancy? Well, during the pregnancy, I guess, suppose. Okay. I know you said you dropped them and picked up yeah. this as a second. Yeah. So. I would say just in general, when I pre-pregnancy, when I was healthy, most of my workouts you know, would take place on the track and interval sessions and things like that. And then the elliptico was my supplemental kind of second run. And I was on it about three days a week during that time. During my pregnancy, I was on the elliptico. And um, even coming back, I'm still on the elliptico quite a bit more. I mean, it was almost pretty much every day I was on the elliptico. Mm -hmm. Um, Even even if I did a long run, I sometimes would come in from a long run and extend the run by jumping on the elliptico. Um, Yeah, so it was just a way to add kind of volume without the impact, especially as I was getting bigger and um, a little more... um, Cumbersome. Just, just, yeah, <laughs> weight on my body. So, um, but I would, I, Darren would always like when I would be supplementing an actual workout, um, again, I would wear the heart rate monitor and kind of the thing was he'd give me different intervals to hit and different heart rate zones. So sometimes I found that, you know, getting to get my heart rate up, I'd put it in maybe not quite the highest gear, but just like kind of that mid range where I could really spin my legs and get my legs turning over quickly. And that really elevates my heart rate. So, um, we would just do different interval lengths and he'd give me the heart rate kind of thing and what he wanted out of that. I mean, I did everything from stepping stones where I was like 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And each time, each 20 minutes, you try and raise your heart rate, you know, 10 more beats. So you're kind of really grinding at the end. And Mm -hmm. then I've also done short sprints, like one minute on one minute off. So, Hmm. I've done a full array of workouts. Basically, <laughs> if you can, if you can think of it as a running workout, you can um, replicate it on the elliptico. And then tell us how it works with it being on a trainer. Are we talking just like a regular bike trainer? Yeah. So I think most trainers come. It is a. You do need like a small wheel adapter, but most trainers um, have that adapter available, and so it's a bike trainer, and it becomes an indoor elliptical. Mm-hmm. Um, for, you know, for your house. And obviously being pregnant, that was the safest, most ideal um, way for me to use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How has it been running a uh, postpartum? Uh, we did read in People magazine that you were cleared to run one week uh, after delivering Abigail, but you waited until two weeks postpartum to start running again. Yeah. So at about a week postpartum, I started back with on the elliptico and also doing pelvic floor exercises and we just kind of wanted to start building building that base before we hopped right back into running um but I think I think it was a good decision and I've you know been 
making a lot of progress and just my body's been responding well. And so I'm excited about that. Like I did, I didn't know how to, you know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know how you're going to feel, but I feel very lucky and blessed in coming out on the other side and how things have been going for me. Good. Nice. nice. All right. So, so last question I said earlier that we love TMI. So, um, yeah, we got, we got to ask any bodily surprises, um, about being a new mom, like any leakage of sorts or having to, to double bag your boobs, anything like that? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I always joke and to my husband that I I have boob envy. So if I'm (laughs) feeding my daughter on one side, it's like the other side's like, wait, I want to, you know, like I want to <laughs> contribute. So I don't know how many times I'm walking around the house and I have a burp cloth, yep. cloth shoved down one side of my right. bra mm-hmm. and I haven't even remembered to remove it. So oh, it's a good look, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my husband's looked over at me in bed some nights and just seen like all kinds of burp cloths sticking out in different places and I think he's just like okay (laughs) this is the woman I fell in love with yes (laughs) oh my goodness um and so you're feeling feeling optimistic about this summer I am um obviously I'm cautiously optimistic because we're we're in a great time in American middle distance running and it's a I think it's one of the hardest teams in the world to make is making the um, track and field, you know, the U S track and field team and especially the 1500 so competitive. So even coming off and being, you know, not even having issues of coming off a pregnancy, it would have been, you know, a really tough challenge. And so, um, I know what I'm up against, but, um, like I said, I, I would have regretted it sitting out. And so I'm just excited to get back out there. I'm starting to feel like Sarah again. And that's what I told my husband one, one workout. Nice, nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. And we'll be cheering for you this summer and beyond. Good luck and enjoy. Enjoy it. Thank you so much. Now we'd like to welcome Diane Peterson, a mother runner in the Portland area, who is the mother of a 23-year-old daughter. Diane incorporates an elliptigo into her training for half marathons to save wear and tear on her 62 years young body, as well as recover from minor knee surgery earlier this year. Welcome to another Mother Runner, Diane. Thank you. Nice to be here. Diane, you're 62 now and running half marathons. Can you tell us a little bit about your evolution as a runner? Uh, Well, I grew up pre-Title IX, so when I was in high school, you didn't do anything. (laughs) <laughs> and then then I went to college at a private college in Wisconsin. It's called Carroll University now. It was Carroll College when I was there. And they had all sorts of sports for women, which I thought was really cool. So I did everything I possibly could except gymnastics. Didn't do that. <laughs> and uh, so I did, you know, volleyball, basketball, track. And then when I was a senior there was a freshman girl came in and she wanted to do cross country. So the track coach said, sure, you two can do cross country. So yay, we started a cross country team. So you always came in the top three then, right? At practice. (laughs) Yeah. And then, uh, and then we actually, they, the guys had a swim team and they um, wanted to go to a co-ed relay meet. So they put a notice up, any girls want to swim? So I said, sure, I'll swim. Oh my goodness. And yeah, but that was, 
we had a 414 semester program. So January, you took one class. I think mm-hmm. I was doing my doing my WSI then, but I was also running usually at noon, just extra. And then I'd have basketball and I had track later and swimming came in there somewhere. And I'd usually go to dinner and just fill my tray with fluids. <laughs> so I finally told the basketball coach who was helping with swimming, something's got to go here and it won't be track. So she said, okay, it'll be swimming. I did do the one meet and that was it. But now they have a women's swim team too. So that's very cool. Oh my goodness. Cool. You were you had a, a full plate as well as a, a full tray at the, the cafeteria. <laughs> did you and just... then I did my graduate work at U of O and that was when Tom Heinen was a grad student and just starting coaching there. His wife was the sports information director for women's athletics. I was the assistant to the women's athletic director, Becky Sisley and Janet, Tom's wife, she was a runner. So we'd always work out with the U of O women's team mm. and did some stuff with uh, Oregon Track Club. It was pretty young then. So I was still running. I think I took my I took two years to get my master's because I really enjoyed being in school. <laughs> and uh, I didn't run as much that winter of my second year. And that, you know, I finally really missed it and, you know, came back and was running. And then I was working after I got my master's and but I just kept running all the time and mm-hmm. I just do road races whenever I could and I had no training plan I just run every day and then I go race and uh and I kind of kept doing that after my daughter was born I probably wasn't running quite as much still trying to run I had to walk most of that pregnancy I wasn't really running because she was kind of she was an IVF baby so I was pretty worried about you know if I ran would I joggle that egg loose <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> and uh, my doctor said don't worry about it but I, I still worried about it but um it wasn't until probably I mean I always kept running but then I'd say probably in the last I don't know six to eight years I finally said you know I'm going to get more serious about this uh-huh. and I'd been doing lots of 10ks and 5ks and then I thought I'm going to try this half marathon I hadn't I'd done one years ago but I can't even tell you how long ago, but I thought, well, I'll try another one. And so I found a little plan on competitive competitor.com or something and followed that. And, and I did really well. So I thought, wow, this is cool. I want to keep doing these. So I, you know, I kind of was doing where I was, you know, probably doing two or three a year easily, maybe more sometimes. Uh-huh. Nice. Nice. And then when and why did you start using an elliptigo? Um, they came, what was it? Three years ago when they had a special deal. If you buy one, we'll give you free training for a year. Oh, from, yeah. Greg McMillan, I think was the one that was doing all the coaching then. So I thought, you know, and it's supposedly $500 worth of free training stuff. So I said, okay. And I'd seen, you know, all the ads for them online and, you know, seen the, how great Meb had done using his and stuff. So I thought, you know, I could try that. That might work. So I I bought into the deal, and I used it that summer. I was getting ready for uh, another half then. I think it was the Portland half. Um, And so, and I had a set goal there of I wanted to kind of, I hadn't, my first half marathon, which was 2011, I think I did 138. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I know. I told my husband I'd come in at 145, and I was in at 138, so I was ecstatic. And then I did uh, Rock and Roll. At age 57. Approximately, yeah, yeah. It was 2011. 2011. That's fantastic. So, um, I am. I'm turning green yeah. <laughs> right in front of everybody. <laughs> I was really excited. So then, rock and roll was that spring, uh-huh. and I think I only ran like 140. So I thought, well, bummer. 
Um, but there was a few hills in that one. And then, uh, you know, and then after that, I was stuck like 140, 142, things like that. And I was like, really kind of thinking, why am I not improving in this? And so I was hoping that the elliptica would help me improve. Although there were issues with that. Sometimes I was traveling, so, you know, I didn't have it with me. But I still try to follow things as closely as I could. And I think I ran like a 142 at Portland, and I was really bummed. <laughs> and uh, I think it was two weeks later, I was down in San Francisco doing the Nike women's half, and I ran 143. So I thought, well, what's with that? Well, on you a know, super hilly course. On a super hilly course. <laughs> You know, I think, you know, maybe I'm better for hills. I don't know. Because Portland's got like one hill and then it's pretty flat. And then Mm -hmm. it goes uphill at the finish. So I thought, well, maybe I don't do flat courses. But I thought I'd give it one more try and do Portland again this year, last fall. And and I think I was still doing, you know, they had another follow our plan. And, you know, I think I paid to, to follow the plan. And my choice was between... Darren Brown or Greg McMillan and Darren's was 16 weeks and I had like 12 weeks. So I said, I better do Greg's. Uh And, uh, so, so I ran that and I says, I just got to break 140. I'm going to be really happy. I broke 139. Oh Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. So I was maybe 40 seconds away from that 2011 one. So I thought, you know, so many years, that's pretty good. I, but I think a lot of it, I really have to give a lot of credit to this guy I was running with. I met him about mile six and his Garmin didn't start right. So he wanted to know what my splits were and what I was planning to hit. And, and he was trying to hit the same splits, but he was running the full marathon. So we ran together from like mile six to mile 11 where the marathoner split off and all I had to do was like hang on for two miles. So I think that that really helped having somebody with you to go with. Cause a lot of the halves I run, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know anybody around me, so I'm running by myself. Or they're all listening to music. That's what I find. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where do you ride the elliptico? Uh, because I know in our neighborhood, we've got one guy that rides it and he gets a ton of attention. So do you ever feel a bit self-conscious even in uh, liberal Portland? Uh, well, I'm not in Portland. I'm in Corbett. I'm 20 miles out in the boonies. Oh, oh. So, so the, cow, have... the cows shoot you funny looks? <laughs> it, well, I can't really ride a lot from my house because it's all uphill oh. and then it's all downhill. So it's like you just work your butt off going uphill and you're, you know, suffering. And I have an 8C and I can only get up to, you know, might get out two miles from here and I can't get any higher. Mm. And then I just turn around and I just like, drift back <laughs> oh there's another little hill before i get to my house there's a little up and down but it still it's like i feel like that's not doing me any good when i'm just like working really hard and then i'm doing nothing mm-hmm. so i go down into gresham the next mm-hmm. big town between here and portland and they have what's called a springwater corridor it's oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah we it's run awesome. on it a lot yeah so and what i've done is i go to the main city park in gresham and i ride out to boring and back Mm, yeah, for, the, for those who don't know it, there is truly a place called Boring, Oregon. Yep. <laughs> and it's not that boring, but it's pretty nice. So it's about, I can make that into, you know, pretty, it's it's kind of uphill going to Boring, but it's not terribly steep at all. And um, then I just, you know, and then I can still push it coming back downhill. And I might go a little bit further beyond the park just to get to me, you know, what I'm trying to get to 12 miles usually is the furthest I think I've done on it. In the summer... When I had it two summers ago, I didn't have it last summer. Um, I had a bionic runner, and I really—I tell you, I didn't like that very much. But that's another story. What is um, a bionic runner? Yeah, what is a bionic runner? 
Oh, it's a an Australian version of the elliptigo. Oh. Oh. In a sense, it has more of a runner's gait, um, circular pattern that your feet follow. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, that may be kind of cool, and you know, was reading all about it and got in on a Kickstarter plan where it was like half price. So I thought that was always a good deal, and it includes shipping from Australia. <laughs> so I had it shipped to where I spend about five or six weeks every summer in northern Wisconsin. Oh, uh-huh. which the first summer I had the elliptigo, I used it out there, and it's pretty flat, and mm-hmm. it was great. And I was on the bike pass, and people go, "What's that?" Mm-hmm. And I just buzz by and go, Elliptigo! <laughs> you needed like a big uh, banner flying behind you or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't stop to talk to him. I just was going. And um, so the Bionic Runner I used as much as I could, but it's it's one that has a derailleur so that you have to pause to shift. Oh, huh. And yeah, so when you're going up a hill and you try to shift, you have to pause to oh, gosh. shift. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> and you think, so I'm going to fall lose over. So you all your momentum. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I hated it. So I brought it back to Portland and I sold it to somebody here. Um, <laughs> Who hopefully isn't listening to this. <laughs> yeah. So, well, no, I told them my problems and she said, oh, I, she had some bike that worked like that too. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy, but, but I don't like it. And uh, people on the elliptigo site one time said, oh, you have to do, or no, it was on the Bionic Runner Facebook. They said, you have to do that with an elliptigo. And I says, I never have to pause to shift. Uh-huh. I can shift on the fly. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. so the first summer, I, yeah, I used it there. And then uh, when I was training for the Berlin half over the winter, or when I tra- trained for Portland last fall and I was back in Oregon, I was down on the Springwater Corridor a lot, or I was out on the streets around uh, Mount Hood Community College. Mm. I'd, I'd drive downhill into what used to be a berry patch and drive around that neighborhood, and people still kind of look at me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then for this winter, when I was training for the Berlin half after coming off this, it was minor knee surgery. I had a ganglion cyst on my tib-fib joint. Mm-hmm. And I'd had it for many, I'd had it for many years, but it got really big and ugly and it was like morphing. It had babies. <laughs> and so the doctor, doctor took it off and said I was going to have to six weeks without running. And I was like in tears, but I thought, okay, I have to do it. And it was only four weeks. So I was like, yippee. Nice. And, uh, so that's when I use elliptigo, but I put it on a trainer mm-hmm. and I wrote it in the solar room of my house. Oh, that sounds pleasant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so what yeah. type of workouts do you do on it? Like what? Do you have certain workouts, or is it mainly that you just focus on time and distance? Um, well, time and mostly time, but it was following Darren's plan, which he might say do 40 minutes on it, so I do 40 minutes. Um, I would shift the gears around. I found out that to get the most resistance, I had to have it in like eight, and I just couldn't get the knob tight enough on the wheel. I was really worried about screwing things up that way so eight was probably the toughest for me and I would never go lower than about six or five because that was like too easy and then if he said oh do you know hill repeats I would just go up and do the I'd say okay a hill moderate hill would be three minutes and I'd put it in eight and go pretty hard I mean I was sweating buckets usually when I was off of it wow wow so then so so you got these um... I kind of made it up yeah so you got these really impressive results training on the elliptigo. And so, I mean, what do you attribute it to? I mean, is it is it the that you felt fresher than when you would run on the road, or what was it? 
Uh, hard to say because I really missed running on the road. There's sometimes where it'd be like a really nice day and I was on the elliptical and I was thinking, I really want to be outside running on the road. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of miss it if I'm not pounding the pavement, but I was talking to myself saying, it's better that you're not, it's better that you're not, your knees are going to last longer, your, you know, feet are going to last longer, you know, your hips are going to last longer. And so, you know, I think it was just the fact that I was trying to follow this plan and resting by using the elliptigo versus, you know, not on the pavement, because mm-hmm. there's not really a trail trail here to run. It's it's out in the I'm out in the country, but it's all blacktop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So so my uh, best friend from high school, who's an avid triathlete and she lives in suburban Maryland, she got an elliptigo after shattering her ankle in a rock climbing Ouch. accident. Yeah. And then she had to have her ankle fused. Um, my uncle, about- my husband's had his fused, but he doesn't run and he doesn't elliptigo either. Yeah. So she was just really, really missing running. So she got an elliptigo. And um, so, I mean, what advice do you give women thinking about getting one? Uh, I usually tell them that, you know, think pretty much about it. I mean, I have a really good friend who had uh, hip replacement and I was trying to talk him into getting one. He ended up getting a bionic runner through the Kickstarter thing too. It's still in the box. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, it's still in the box, but he wants to get like a, a, you know, and in a kinetic roller or something for it so he can do it indoors and his wife can do it indoors and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I, every, when I first got it and I took it to Mount Hood Community College where I was working, I, you know, I said, I took it down on the tracks says, here, everybody go play with it. Or mm-hmm. I'd have it out in the parking lot, go up and ride down around the parking lot. And so they'd all try it. But I mean, sometimes cost is the biggest, you know, non-factor for for getting it you know it's people just look at it and say oh that's a lot of money to spend like mm-hmm. yeah but if you're serious about stuff then it's not that bad how much how much do they spend on a bike for a triathlon mm-hmm. that's true that's true and do you find when people when you let people use it i mean are there tips you you give them for that first time on it because i know that ellison and i were both c- kind of nervous um you know especially ellison <laughs> let's be honest yeah. Yeah. Um, no i you know most of my friends are pretty coordinated. I had one friend, she obviously isn't terribly coordinated, but she got on it and went about three steps and started to crash, and we were trying to catch her and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, so she's just like, oh, I'll never use that. And I'm thinking, okay. I'm just thinking, <laughs> Way to give it a try. <laughs> I, yeah, I think she needs to have training wheels. <laughs> right, there you, there you go. Know. There you go. Forget the trainer, like put on training <laughs> wheels. Yeah. <laughs> I have an 8C, and I just bought an 11R. It's in Boulder, Colorado, though. Oh, and you're getting it shipped, or you're going to it? No, I'm going to pick it up on my way back from Wisconsin this summer. I'll take my 8C to Wisconsin and leave it there, because it's fine for the hills there. And then I'll stop in Boulder. My niece is supposed to pick it up this weekend. And uh, I told her she's a former, you know, uh, top-notch world you know ranked triathlete many years ago and i said you're gonna love this so hopefully she doesn't steal it from me (laughs) but uh i I said i'll stop by and pick it up on the in august and see you then so she's got a couple months to play with it now nice three or four months you are spreading the elliptigo word good for you she hadn't heard of it i thought when boulder aren't there a lot in boulder right don't they know everything in boulder aren't they up on all the latest trends all the latest fitness things (laughs) I would think so. Yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, good luck with all your elliptigos, Diane, and thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Nice to chat with you. So, E, I had fun when we went on that elliptigo. Yeah, you had fun. <laughs> you were much, much braver than I was. I believe I went, you know, I did two little loops with the guy chasing me most of the time. You were phenomenal. Oh, uh, well, I see, I, even on a bike, I don't like doing turns all that much. You know, like a tight turn, you know, like if you get somewhere and you want to turn around and go back or whatever. So that was my thing. I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep riding. And we were, you know, it's the huge parking lot. I was, you know, like at a mall or whatever. And uh, yeah, so, but now after talking to them, I'm ready, ready to get back on one. Well, especially with some of the times that uh, Diane oh, yeah, yeah. Will did. I be able to wow. then suddenly run as fast as Diane? <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to hold you to that, Diane. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, here's Dimity with a slice of the train like a mother club. Salutations. This is Dimity in Denver with your train like a mother club corner. Thank you for all your enthusiasm and questions and um I don't know, kudos and hurrahs for the heart rate challenge. It seems like a lot of you are really fired up about it, which is very cool. So happy to keep answering questions about that. Um, you can email us at tlamclub, T-L-A-M club at gmail.com or put them up on the Facebook page or whatever works. But in the meantime, we have some races still going off. Wave one of the 10K and 13.1 challenge. Uh, race this weekend. So good luck to everybody doing that. And then we've still got plenty of mother runners getting their training done. And that's where our comment comes from today. This is Melissa, who's in the marathon challenge. She says, I'm in week 10 of training and trying to get motivated to run my 20 miler today. The weather is looking better today and I can get it done during preschool time. Just barely. I shouldn't be feeling so blah this week, especially after hearing inspiring stories from the first wave of marathoners, but I'm guessing this is when everyone starts feeling blah, getting into the thick of longer runs, start testing race day strategies, etc. Sure hope this run is a confidence booster and a mood changer. And I just want to absolutely validate everything you're feeling, Melissa, and if you're in the middle of your training, whether you're in a challenge or not. Um, there are two times where I typically get the blahs. It's in the middle of the training and at the very, um, after the race, right after the race, the post-race blues. Um, but that middle of the training, it's not necessarily blah, but it's just, it's like you're not close enough to the start to still feel that enthusiasm and you're not close enough to the finish to be all fired up and just be like, okay, I only have X amount more of these runs or X amount of days to go. You're like, oh, I only have um, 56 more days to go. <laughs> Not quite the countdown you want. So anyway, hang in there. The good news is that Melissa weighed in afterwards and she got it done. Um, and uh, she said it wasn't necessarily fun and miles 10 to 13 were tough because of the hills. But at the end of the day, it's another long run in the books. Thanks for hearing me out and cheering me on. So good luck um, and every, to everybody racing this weekend. Anyone else who's not, keep it going. And we will see you next week in the Train Like a Mother Club corner. Speaking of the Train Like a Mother Club, earlier this week, we launched four, four training programs based on heart rate training. You might have listened to our interview with the coach, Mary Catherine Fleming, on our last podcast. There are two half marathon plans and two marathon wands aimed at prepping you for a strong fall race anytime from late September to late November. 
There are nine waves of training groups with the first ones kicking off the day after Mother's Day. So head on over to trainlikeamother.club for all the details. Again, that's trainlikeamother.club. And many happy miles to you. Thank you.